Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. It's, uh, it's been a Merry Christmas. I can say that. I, I will say yep. that. Hmm? It has been a very Merry Christmas. Lots of time with family and friends. <laughs> I thought you just and- you just dropped a straight up nope, and I'm like, oh, come oh. on. <laughs> you said yep. That's fine. It's I said hard. yep. Yeah, definitely Perfect. a yep. Uh, and so we are back. And what we decided to do for our kind of uh, holiday week in between Christmas and New Year's was give you guys a sneak peek at the next type of content that we're going to do. Now, we did an Inside the Game previously about Quantum Break a couple of years back, and Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't really know what we were going to do with the format. Um, It ran a little bit long. We went a little bit too deep. So we've kind of revamped it and wanted to give you guys a sneak peek at what that might look like. So... Today we're going to do Inside the Game, Horizon Zero Dawn, Frozen Wilds. We're not going to talk about the main Horizon Zero Dawn game. We're just talking about the DLC content. So this should be a little bit more digestible, a little bit shorter. We're aiming for somewhere between half an hour and 45 minutes. We also wanted to make sure that we dive into not only the story uh, beats that we really enjoyed, uh, but also what the new features are that you can expect from the DLC, uh, prices, mechanics, like all that kind of cool stuff. So we're not Mm. just going to dive into the story. We are doing a deep dive on all the different parts of the game that we enjoyed. So ideally, when we hit the milestone over on patreon.com slash the gamers in, we're going to be polling the listeners once a month and then uh, choosing a game to cover in the following month to give Ryan and I a bit of a chance to play it. Um, Mm -hmm. So if there is something that you want us to cover in a little bit more detail than we're able to on our normal gamers in episodes, then inside the game is uh, the content that you are going to be uh, really excited about, I hope. Uh, so if you are, go over to, again, patreon.com slash gamersin and uh, back our project so that we can hopefully hit our milestone in the near future and start doing these episodes more regularly. So on that note, Ryan, are you ready to do our deep dive and jump into Horizon Zero Dawn Frozen Wild? Yes, I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this. First off, right mm. off the bat, I can't believe how much content was actually included in this DLC. Um it was an incredible amount of, first of all, space. The world that they built um, for the Banuk was huge, like way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. To the point that I found myself actually like using fast travel, which is something I like never did in the main game. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not so it's not as big as the main world, but it, it's a chunk. This game, this edition, constantly surprises in the sense that you're always surprised by how much they added when they really didn't need to go this crazy with with an expansion. Um, And most times when they call things expansions, looking at you, Destiny, it doesn't actually live up to the name because expansions, as as we know and remember, are large chunks of content with a standalone story that we can experience um, for hours on end. And this is living up to the name given, which is an expansion. And that area... It's very much, uh, very close to the size, I would say, of like the Nora area, Mm. off the right off the bat on the beginning before you go through the gate and the like the whole bigger, wider world where the Karja are. Before you actually pass through that gate, just that kind of starting zone that belongs to the Nora, you're basically getting that much space again. I felt like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a very good comparison, and. The great thing about this location is the fact that it is so different from the other locales that you're presented with. And it could very well just come down to the fact that everything is frozen and it's snow covered. 
and I think that goes a long way for for this game. And speaking of features, snow tech, gotta say, yeah, really, really, really well done. Uh, to the point where, and I think we mentioned it on, on one of our episodes, where I had sent a, a GIF to Jocelyn via iMessage before we had even started talking about this, and it was just Aloy rolling around in the snow, proving that there was this, this there's tech in the game where when you roll in the snow, the grass underneath is actually being rendered properly. So as you uncover the grass, it then waves in in the wind, and the attention to detail when it comes to adding this new weather mechanic, this new system of snow on the ground, you would think it sounds easy, but it, it's really not, especially when it's something that wasn't featured heavily in the main game. Um, it was in there a bit, but it wasn't um, It wasn't like this. It didn't feel like no. there was this much uh, snow on the ground in it, anywhere else in the game. Well, and not only to mention the actual weather system itself, but the improved movement that they put into this DLC. I mean, when you're Aloy and you're mm-hmm. running through deep snow, she actually, like, changes her gait and she starts to walk as if she's having difficulty, like, picking up her feet, which is how you walk in deep snow. I don't know if you guys have ever done it. We're Canadian, so I can tell you that is 100% the way that you walk through deep snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting to see that they um, upgraded her animations as well. Um they also improved a lot of the kind of ways you navigate your space, including climbing. I found myself pulling myself up on a lot of places that weren't actually handholds. Um, mm-hmm. Like if there was, you know, kind of like a, a shelf that was around my waist height before, I probably could have jumped onto it. But it would have been like this impossible, like straight up vertical jump that Aloy would do and land with her feet on there. Whereas now when you run up to these sort of things you kind of like put your hands on it and boost yourself up which is a much more natural looking Mm -hmm. um, pose and I find in this DLC that's exactly what they did is they made her have a lot more natural animations when it came to her movement through the space of the game yeah for sure I I noticed and whether it's design of this new area or or just solely new animations it felt like they were taking the criticism to heart that this game launching so close to Zelda where you can climb everything and then you get to this where it's like a jump fest where you're just rubbing up against these invisible walls. I didn't feel myself as frustrated in in this, uh, in this the cut, the new area mm-hmm. that they've given us. Um, right, and I haven't actually made it back into, like I spent so much time. There, There's so much content in mm-hmm. this expansion. I'm, I'm going to stop calling it DLC. Like they called it DLC, but I'm just going to call it the expansion because expansion, we're... Yeah. We're used to DLC being smaller chunks of, of material, and this is just huge. Um, there's actually nine new quests, seven new errands, uh, five new enemies, and three new weapons. So a huge amount of content in this DLC. And so I spent my entire chunk of time just playing around in Frozen Wild. I didn't go back to do any... And granted, I had already completed all the content that the game had to offer in the original area, but... Still, um, I, I didn't actually go back. So I'm not sure if, like you say, Ryan, those were design decisions made in the construction of that area in the cut or if it was um, something that kind of persists throughout the entire main game as just a general behind-the-scenes mechanical improvement. But yeah, I felt like I could climb a lot more than I could previously um, without handholds. Like, because there, there are still, you know, like sheer cliffs that have you know the the snow covered or 
bird poop covered. I'm not really sure what they're supposed to be covered with, but the, the slightly off-white painted handholds and uh, yellow ropes are still uh, there in the cut in this new uh, Frozen Wilds DLC. But they're very much, uh, they're not necessarily required <clears throat> to get to locations quickly, which I thought was interesting. Like, if it looked like I could climb it, I probably could just by being careful with my jumps. It looks like the or it felt like they took out a lot of those invisible walls. Yeah, in which you know that's how climbing works. You only you you you're only able to climb on things that are climbable. And um, I felt in the main game it was a little less. It was a little more restrictive and and very uncharty where you you would only even though it looked like you had multiple options, you were still only using the same handholds. But in this, they've designed the climbing mechanics in a way that's like no you're going to scale the the side of this cliff and it only makes sense to go up the prepared path because it's a cliff and <laughs> and i think that's what they tried to illustrate in the main game was that um the reason there was these handhold handholds and, and ropes and stuff is because they had created a path for their hunters and mm-hmm. um in this it feels a little more deliberate in in its design and mm-hmm. Aside from you know the improved climbing mechanics and stuff, we also saw an improved facial animations uh, to to not only the main conversations but to the side quests. Uh, one problem I had in the main game was that some of the side quests you could tell was they only did a couple passes on this. There was some very stiff, no Andromeda stuff happening. I will give it that. But in this, it's like every conversation you have with a side character isn't. Is just done so well and beautifully, and they're they're doing things with their faces and hands that they weren't doing in the main game, and they're being more expressive, um, and that goes a long way to keep you engaged with the errands, which are the side side quests. So mm-hmm. everything is a side quest in this expansion, and then there are the uh, the errands as well. And right, doing... because they use they use the tag of mm-hmm. main quest as something that is the main story start to finish of the game and that's something else that we should mention with this dlc is you're not playing something that is like end game content you're not playing post final boss this content fits in and we'll talk about it uh lore wise a little bit later Mm -hmm. in terms of how it fits into the main story but it actually fits in close to the end of the game but it's still uh it's it's story content that can or can't be completed it's up to you it is very much a side quest so um, everything is labeled either as a side quest or an errand when you go into the cut, which is the uh, Banuk area. Yeah, and and you get, again, we'll touch on the lore, but you get hints that this is just a small portion of what could be a larger area. and But you don't feel like that's the case. Like we said, it's a large area. You don't feel like you're you're only getting a small portion. You feel like you're getting... Well, the way they describe the cut as being the entrance to Banur, you know, to to the to the right. We never actually get to go to the main Banuk city. It, mm-hmm. We just have the entrance, which is interesting. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm I'm just flabbergasted by the amount of content they were they were able to put in here. Not only do they have the you know the the sixteen quests in there that all feel very uh, very rewarding because you're exploring this new this new tribe that you didn't get a lot of time with in the main game so every quest kind of sheds a new piece of 
or sheds some light on a new piece of information you didn't have before. It's all tribal stuff in, in that uh, if you weren't interested in learning about the different tribes, then this might not interest you. But for me, going in there and learning all these little things, you know, about culture and, and uh, their religion and the way that their were-acts and shamans work, each quest was really interesting. That I didn't, And I didn't get that in the main game. And then they also go ahead and add new animals, um, new enemies for you to fight. Uh, some of them are terrifying up. enemies. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that again in our story spoilers. Mm-hmm. But uh, enemy-wise, yeah, they really up the difficulty, and I think that they probably had to because again, this is supposed to be. Um, it's it's actually really interesting because the main story end boss is rated for level thirty-six, and the Frozen Wilds main boss, uh, main end boss, is rated for level fifty. So it's funny that lore-wise, that's probably my only gripe with this, is that lore-wise, you're supposed to do Frozen Wilds boss before you do main story boss, but skills-wise and XP-wise, they expect you to do the main story before you do Frozen Wilds. Like, the Frozen Wilds boss is more difficult than the main game, which I think might be a little bit of a misstep. It worked for me because I'd already defeated the main boss, but if you were expecting to complete this as a side quest heading into the main boss, then you're going to have an extraordinarily difficult fight followed by a probably pretty easy for you by the time you're level 50 or 55 mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a fight at the, to, to actually end the game. Yeah, I don't know where I was when I went into the cut, but I was certainly close to level 50. So I must have done the main quest way over leveled, and maybe, m- maybe the course of the game. And I didn't do all the side quests, so maybe the course of the game has you doing the final boss at a, at a higher level. Um, but yeah, the new enemies were fantastic and very hard. The first time you're introduced to the new, the first new enemy, it kind of throws you for a loop. And they're, I think they're, um, they're like demonic enemies. So another feature is they right. have these towers that you can capture. They're not like the the tall necks they're these like uh i'm just gonna call them chimney stacks because we're a safe for work podcast and they just <laughs> spew like this purple uh bluey pulse mist kind of thing. yeah pulse right and what it does is it heals the enemies and um yeah it heals them so you can go in you can shoot it i never shot them i always like snuck in because i'm because i'm a badass so i would sneak in and i would override them i think it- have you actually finished all the quests? Because there's a couple of quests where you absolutely could not just go. You had to shoot them. You couldn't go and disable them. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I might not have done them all, uh, all the towers, but I did get the achievement for doing all the side quests. But, um, yeah, I, I often went in there and I Maybe found you're some... You're sneakier than me then. <laughs> well, okay. Sometimes I had to rely on the rope caster, to, so I would tie the uh... monsters down. Okay. And then okay. override it. And I found that worked. It felt a little cheeky, but um, it, no, it worked. No, that's smart because instead, like, so I was probably running around like a chicken with my head cut off for five minutes trying <laughs> to shoot the teeny tiny little target on the top of the tower because I had some giant monster chasing me. And <laughs> you actually probably found the way you're supposed to do it, which is tie the monster down and then override it. That yeah. makes so, so much more sense. Especially... Um, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but especially the final boss, I, I had to do that. I had to employ that trick. But uh, new weapons, um, 
the 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 new weapons being how did you feel about the new weapons they added like the Osirum improved sort of unique weapons not the bow and arrow but like the ice slinger and the flamethrower and um, right so that's basically what they were is they were new weapons brought to you by an Osirum living in the cut and mm-hmm. uh, she made some really cool weapons that essentially throw whatever it is at your opponent so throw fire throw ice um, and. I didn't use them very much because I I spent my blue gleam, which is the new currency in this expansion, um, I that you get rewarded. Uh, you can find some in the world, but you also get rewarded uh, on quests. So I found that I was spending my blue gleam on weapons, so mm. I thought that they would be the more powerful ones. So I bought like the super upgraded bow and the super upgraded like rope caster and all that kind of stuff, and then. Um, Really, what I should have been doing is just spending my time doing the errands to upgrade those enemies be- or those um, weapons, because particularly the frost one, because I think I defeated all the frost bears by the time I actually started trying to use these new weapons. Um, the frost weapon on the fire bear, oh my god, it was so much better. I beat those things so quickly once I was using the proper weapon. Yeah. I'd been trying to use like my ice arrows and it was not working. <laughs> I um, found there was a, a side quest that I missed uh, that I went back to and I gotta say in the main game I was terrible at weapon uh, experimentation. I would always, I found my four that I liked and they were all different and, and I just, I forced them into whatever encounter I came across. But in <laughs> this expansion and these improved weapons, I found that I was swapping them out more because I was coming across. Um, so the the frost claws, there was the the fire fire claws, and then there were the frost claws. The flamethrower shooting the fireballs, just chew them up, just take mm. them apart so quick. And those improved weapons are just amazing, especially for end game like us who have been collecting everything and just have an abundance of these crafting materials where you can just you can just keep feeding that flamethrower it's it's a hog but you could just keep feeding it so you have unlimited fireballs oh yeah you're in there like mario it's crazy it's i think i had like eighteen thousand metal shards which is like kind of Mm -hmm. the base currency from the whole entire game and I was using them to, you know, uh, repair my creatures while they were in combat, which is something new. There was a lot of new skills we'll talk about in just a second, the new skill tree. Um, But that was one of the things. So I was like funneling them into that. And then all of a sudden I realized, like once I started using the new frost thrower weapon, that I was going through, like I had something like 300 bottles of chill water, which is the kind of one of the components to make the the ammunition. Mm -hmm. And... I went through it in one fight and then I was like, shit, I've been collecting this the whole entire game. <laughs> like, <laughs> now what? And then so I actually went to a merchant and bought like 500 bottles of chill water. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, now I'm good to go again. And yeah. uh, so I finally had like basically like a metal shard sink, which was great because I was like, I'm never going to spend all of this stuff. Right. No. Like I've collected so much through the course of the base game that I'm just never going to spend my shards. <laughs> you're not even you're 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 not even using your shards to like in the main game you you had to use shards to buy armor but in this the armor you're really seeking out is um used you purchase it with the with the new currency that you're finding across the land uh being blue gleam which I thought was really cool because it's this 
it's the oil in the machines or whatever, the goop in the machine that freezes. And yeah. then it creates this shard, this diamond. And, of course, the Banuk, like, worship it because, you know, it's it's shiny. And um, and you just, you, you pick it out and you, you get to use it as a, as a currency. The the biggest nitpick I had with the game, and it's, it's really nothing and doesn't ruin the experience, was just you come in there with your short sleeves and you're like, oh, man, it's so cold. And then no one does anything about it. Just just a quick story intro would have been like, here's a coat, Aloy. Just put this on. <laughs> and well, the, yeah, and I agree with you. That was uh, you know one of my little nitpicks too. Is that even once you get the new good armor, it all of a sudden like you put on this big banuk traditional armor, mm-hmm. and she's still complaining about the cold. And I'm like, okay, I get it. That this place <laughs> is colder than you're used to, but like at least now I've given you the proper armor. Like it totally doesn't change her attitude regardless of the clothing that she's wearing which i thought was interesting because one thing i noticed is whichever outfit i was wearing at the time when i entered into an extended dialogue or even a cutscene, i'm wearing the like the outfit that i chose so there's even like um parts in the story where you're like escaping from things or falling down mountains and you know Mm -hmm. doing all these big crazy things and I'm wearing what I was choosing to be wearing. And I thought it was just, it was, again, you touched on it with the snow tech. The level of attention to detail in this game is phenomenal Mm -hmm. to the point that like, regardless of which of the like 25 outfits I'm choosing to wear, like they've literally made 25 different versions of the cutscene so they can play the right one for you, depending on what you've chosen to wear. And it's just um, really helps with the immersion Mm -hmm. into the whole world. But yeah, you're right. The fact that she still complains she's cold, no matter what she's wearing. Damn it. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't need a cold system like with Breath yeah. of the Wild. I like that in Breath of the Wild because it encouraged you to change your, your armor. And in this, they encourage you to change your armor based on, on your encounters, which, uh, yeah. again, I never did because um, I just didn't. But in this, it's like as soon as I was able to buy one of those Blue Gleam Banuk uh, uh, costumes, or, or costumes not the right word, okay. outfits, I was all over it, and I stuck with that one until I found a better one, and 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 that's what I was running around with the entire game. I was it actually felt right. running around in the Karja Blue Gleam one. Oh. First of all, it looks freaking awesome. The but midriff it's literally one? like the midriff one is sh- yeah showing your midriff, and so I was running around in that one because it protected against fire damage, yeah. and I had to kill all those freaking fire bears. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, yeah I was running around <laughs> with my midriff showing. Yeah, they but, uh, they added also. Um, modifications for your staff which yes. is uh it, I, I didn't feel like it added much to the game but it was a nice touch um it just kind of made sense you were modifying everything else why not your staff which was mm-hmm. already proven to be very modular but just these little things that they sprinkled in which felt a lot like testing things out for the sequel um or or the follow-up or whatever and you know with weapon modification and these outfits and different uh, currencies and collectibles it just felt like an interesting opportunity for them to try something right away as opposed to waiting and going through testing with a with a proper sequel if that's what they end up doing but i just it offered you the features of this game offered you what you expected from the main game but gave you more gave you extra layers on top of those mm-hmm. um those slices that you that you liked uh from the main game so i was really right. impressed so, by that yeah that's the the next thing I wanted to mention very very quickly is Mm -hmm. the fact that there are new collectibles so uh, you can collect pigments which is part of the game which made the 
uh, potentially very, very white and black and gray expansion actually end up being very colorful is because you've got these prismatic pools all over the place and the Banuk themselves make use of, you know, the local plants and minerals and all kinds of stuff to make dyes and paints. So there's paintings all over the rocks. So it's actually very, very colorful when it could have been very dull. Uh, so collecting new pigments, pigments for the Banuk is one of the collectibles, as well as all of the lore building. So the data points, the kind of text data and the voice data that you find around the world, those are in this expansion as well. And there's these little animal figurines, which Ryan, did you manage to collect all the animal figurines? I did. Yeah. I is really that guy like... not the best guy ever? It, it, <laughs> uh, like we're, uh, I love that character. Yeah. I came across him today in my extra uh, playtime as we were trying to sort out when we were going to record. And my interaction with him felt really good because I work, I work for parks, right? And this game is, is based in one big park. You know, yes. Yellowstone and the story around what they're doing at Yellowstone and why it's changed and, and all that fun stuff. The backstory, the the world building was fascinating. The fact that this guy is like commenting on these these animals and there's some cool data points in the visitor center where he is. Mm-hmm. It was just it was it was really neat. And uh, the payoff for finding both the collectibles in the game um, felt like a, a great reward, even mm-hmm. though it was a cutscene. You know, I know we've had conversations about cutscenes as rewards and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> in this, it really felt like finding well, nine of the pigments or six of the animals didn't take much time, and the payoff was a nice touch with some dialogue and, and just some, some well, cool funny moments. Well, the thing is, the payoff isn't just a cutscene, though. Mm-hmm. At least I haven't finished all the pigments. I think I'm still missing two. But mm-hmm. I have all the animals, and he gives you a chest with... Uh, Oh, yeah. modification or whatever they're called. Um, so basically the, the highest level of modification available to you in the game, strongest mm-hmm. modifications for your weapons and your clothes, you get one per figurine that you return. So mm-hmm. if you return all the figurines, then you get six new um, six new modifications that really help. Like in some of the cases, they were like 45% boost in my damage. Like they were huge. Yeah. Um, so... I, the part of that I really liked was just his, uh, and this is probably a good lead-in, I think, uh, unless, oh, we still have to talk about the new uh, quality of life upgrades and the new skill tree, but um, yeah, I just, I loved, I thought the, the dialogue around him was hilarious, and the, you know, fact that he thought that Montana Recreations was a person, a person. and not, yeah. like, a company, just the fact that he had no concept of a company, and he was, like, hoping to that one day maybe he would be known as a, you know, extremely smart, knows everything about animals researcher. And then he could be, I can't even remember his first name, but he wanted to like adopt the last name recreations because <laughs> he thought that was, he wanted to like adopt a new name. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they oh talk, he talks about They're the bear. So funny. Yeah. Oh, they were really good. The bear and the fox was my favorite. The bear's like, oh, but this one's grizzled. So he wouldn't do anything to you. He's old. Yeah, he's old. And yeah. then the fox, he stumbles upon the theory of evolution, but then like, nah, that's crazy. That wouldn't be, yeah. that wouldn't be the case. And Yeah, so there's some really yeah. great dialogue choices there. And I don't want to talk about it too, too much because we're mm-hmm. still in our feature section. We are going to do a story spoiler section uh, after our first little break. Um, so I just wanted to talk about the new skill tree quickly before we move into story spoilers. So if you have made it this far and you've never played Horizon Zero Dawn, I hope that we have kind of stoked your interest in the features and stuff of the game. Um, but yeah, we're going to do our spoilers in a second. So uh, yeah, first we're going to talk about the new skill tree. And uh, basically, 
it added a whole new section that were all Ryan, as you called them, quality of life changes. So, mm-hmm. did you actually make use of the new skills? Um, the biggest one was because uh, I never really mounted a lot, and I found a lot of them were were mounted uh, skill bonuses. They are a lot of them yeah. are mounted. Yeah. The ones I used, I poured into like the scavenging stuff. So I believe there was one for extra, uh, uh, extra things from killing wildlife Extra rare items i think or like yeah. an increased drop rate on your rare item. which totally ratcheted my crafting to the next level and the other one was oh gosh it was um i had it and then i lost it but you it could really... like break down yeah. are you talking about the one where you could break down things that you find so anything mm-hmm. that you can find in your bags you learn how to break it down into metal shards essentially um, which basically saves you from having to go to town to go to a merchant to sell things when you're um, over encumbered when you're when your inventory is full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I used that a lot, and really, it was just to take apart old modifications that I wasn't using. Like I, once you get the skill from the main game where you can swap in and out modifications, I just completely sold all my blues and greens right off the mm. bat so the ability and you you're constantly finding purple ones and these these extra bonuses ones that you talked about with the pristine modifications where you need to make inventory room because you found you've looted like a frost claw in the middle of nowhere and it's like well i don't want to have to come back to this so those yeah. little quality of life ones and the addition of repairing and a dismount attack that sounds like really good additions for um features of the main game that might you might not have used or you might have tried to use and didn't feel like it was as robust because mm-hmm. mounting felt like a point a to point b type scenario and i always found combat on top of these animals to not really work it was always best to kind of let them do their own thing mm-hmm. um and, unless you feel different i didn't really do it a lot I just no no i i completely agree with you um i didn't use a mount that often because um I thought it would have been cool if animals didn't attack me or if machines didn't attack me when I was mounted because they're just like, oh, hey, there's our machine friend and, you know, ignored me, but they don't. Hmm. So I found that either I wanted to kind of sneak through, look for collectibles, that kind of stuff, which a mount doesn't really help. Or if I wanted to get somewhere quickly, I just fast travel. Hmm. So and even then I didn't use the fast travel mechanic very often because I liked exploring the world. I liked finding all the quests and I liked doing all the collecting and the crafting and everything else. So mounting was something I didn't do very much in the main game, but you're right. These, um, this upgraded skill tree added a new type of combat, which is, or a new, um, maybe not type of combat, but almost like a new weapon to your arsenal because you could now ride in and do, um, a dismounting strike, which was much more powerful. It was a great, kind of opener when you were just going to go balls to the wall like into a group of machines that you didn't necessarily want to you know lay out a big huge trap arena (laughs) ahead of time um so yeah i I felt that that was a a huge improvement and made me want to mount up more now something i did a lot in the main game that i continued to do in frozen wilds was override the machines and so the addition of the skill to actually repair them while they were in combat was super helpful because there were a couple times where there would be one giant enemy that I had a quest to kill surrounded by a whole bunch of smaller ones that I was able to override. So being able to um, kind of sneak around, override the little guys, have them attack either each other or the big guy, and then be able to kind of um, heal the last little guy standing so that he could keep the boss's attention while I kind of did more damage to him was Hmm. super helpful in some of um, the more difficult fights 
that um, weren't necessarily like very far into this expansion. So it, it helped me out really early on to learn the enemies, have time to scan them, like do all that kind of stuff um, by overriding and, and healing my machines. And I got most of the new skills right off the bat because I was already max level from the main game. So I was <laughs> level 50 when I went into the expansion. So basically I opened up my skill tree and I had everything except for the bottom like three skills, I think. So I had like the two bottom two skills and then one more above that. So I had three skills left to unlock by leveling up. Um, yeah, so I had most of the new skills right from the start of the expansion. Yeah, and they, they, they were front, a lot of quality of life. Yeah, and they front loaded a lot of those quests with extra spill, skill points that you were getting to, to be able to get at least the first few quality of life ones. I, they I think, did, yeah. Yeah, the design on sort of catapulting you to the proper point in in progression and then allowing you to coast for the rest of the game felt really good because i felt like the pace of the questing and exploration was really well done and there and there was never really this like impending threat that you had to i mean we're going to talk about in the story but it didn't really feel like it was it was a beeline like you had to put blinders on and focus there was a there was a lot going on that allowed you Mm -hmm. to learn about the culture and do some side quests side side quests some errands without feeling like you were really putting anyone in peril which is something that i quite like it, it gives things a little bit more weight but uh i think that's pretty much it for our features discussion we did feel overall that this dlc this expansion was phenomenal that it added so much more to the game on a level that we're not really used to seeing um in this day and age really mm-hmm. with expansions and dlc titles so it's going to set you back uh, $27 Canadian or uh, just $20 if you have PlayStation Plus, which I believe both Ryan and I do have. It is an absolute steal for $20, like even for $27. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is American, but it's probably in the range of 20 to 25 uh, if not cheaper, yeah. 15 to 20 <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely worth uh, picking up if you've played Horizon Zero Dawn. If you haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn, and for some reason all of the raving that I've done over the past <laughs> nine months hasn't been enough to convince you, the complete edition, so the base game and the DLC, is now available for $60. So yeah. highly recommend everyone. Yeah, yeah and that's 60 Canadian, like, uh, yes. so 50 American. I, I did look it up, and honestly, at $50, you can't go wrong. This, this game is phenomenal, um, and the expansion... I, I would love to experience it all for the first time to see what the expansion adds in terms of the linear story in, in mm. terms of progression. It would be interesting. So we just wanted to remind everyone you can go to patreon.com slash thegamersin if you're interested in hearing more Inside the Game episodes. The plan is to do them monthly with a feature section and a story section, uh, mm-hmm. just like we've been doing here tonight. So if you are a new person to Horizon Zero Dawn and you don't want any story spoilers <laughs> more than we've already given you, then uh, you can pretty much just skip the rest of the episode because we're trying very hard to cut these into spoiler and non-spoiler sections to help our listeners who haven't necessarily played the game yet. Uh, so again, if you're interested in this content, if you like what we've done tonight, go to patreon.com slash in and support our campaign and help us unlock the Inside the Game milestone. Also wanted to let everybody know that they can go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord if you want to come and hang out with Ryan and I and the rest of the TGI fans. We also have a patron ad from Simon this week who says, Weekly News Desk is a podcast all about the geek news this week. You can join your two Knucklehead hosts, Andrew and Simon, as they keep you informed on movies, TV, video games, and books. You can find them on iTunes or at weeklynews.com. Which brings us to our spoiler section. So Ryan and I are going to have a very quick, very brief discussion about what we liked and what we didn't like in the main story of Horizon Zero Dawn Frozen Wilds. 
So if you haven't played yet, now is the time to bid us adieu until <laughs> next week. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, first of all, um, I wanted to talk to you about how you thought this actually fit in with the main Horizon Zero Dawn story. So mm -hmm. we've, we talked a little bit earlier on in this episode about how it's not endgame content, right? Right. But what it does do is give you a little bit more information about the AIs that were part of Gaia and part of the whole idea and the Horizon Zero Dawn project, right? Mm -hmm. So the demon we find out that is, you know, inhabiting the mountain and harassing the spirit that the Banuk had been uh, kind of communing with, and the spirit, of course, is an AI. Uh, less advanced than all of Gaia's functions, but still an advanced AI. So we find out that this demon is actually Hephaestus. So did you remember how Hephaestus like fit into the main story when you started playing the DLC, or were you like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, no, I remembered it. Um, I remember that they were very... The main game is very good at kind of walking you through the fact that Gaia was the main AI and was supported by sub-AIs. And the reason in the main game, the sub-AI, um, uh, now I don't know, who was the sub-AI in the main game that was a bad Hades? guy? Hades, thank you. I don't, yeah. how could I forget that? So Hades is the bad guy and he goes off rogue. And I think uh, Hemotosis, what was his name again? Hephaestus. <laughs> Hephaestus, thank you. So Hephaestus, he was the... Uh, sub AI in charge of creating the machines. So the whole story and the way this fits in right from the get go, where you're you're clearly beelining it in the opposite direction, and then Mister Silence over the uh, comms comes in and says, "Hey, where are you going? This isn't the direction to save the world." And she's like, "Oh, shut up! I'm going this way because I want to." <laughs> and I at first I was like, "That's a really tongue in cheek way of being like, now nah, we're gonna go over here now for a bit and not worry about the the big bad guy coming, but." Um, the fact that uh, Hephaestus fits into the story similar to how Hades did in that it's just trying to perform its natural function and create these machines that are stronger and stronger because the humans keep killing them and they don't have something to kind of you know, curb their, their sense of preservation, this AI sense of preservation, is kind of interesting. And also, I love the fact that in this expansion... It's not it's not a, a Hephaestus uh, building cauldron. It's a, it's a different cauldron. It's a different. It's made for something else. It was made to mm -hmm. preserve Yellowstone, the park, the setting, which I love the sprinkling to prevent a volcanic explosion, which mm -hmm. I thought was so interesting. So basically, yeah. they found out that there was going to be a volcano that was going to erupt in Yellowstone. They shut down the park and built this cauldron with this AI in order to protect it and stop the eruption. Mm -hmm. And it also gave us um, a little bit of um, potentially like how much time has passed because in some of the uh, like little um, whatchamacallums um, holographs, they had like a celebration with the, you know, success of the project that said, you know, there will be no more inter or no more eruptions for over 1637 years. I think it was something like that. And so it's like, you know, now we can say like, oh, there's actually been like hundreds and hundreds of years that have passed since, you know, these the events of, mm -hmm. you know, 2054 or 64. I can't remember which one it was when Zero Dawn actually happened. But yeah. um, I thought it, it was really kind of interesting that they that they gave us some of those clues. And yeah, I, they 
they took the main game's story and then added to it in a way that was and, and added to the pre-extinction world where they were talking about this initiative where um and they hinted in the main game how humanity kind of used their their skills with building these robots to kind of save the planet um right and, and there was this you know philosophical question as to what, uh, whether it was too late and it turns out what they used to save the planet ended up dooming them in the end but <laughs> in this the the setting of the setting of Yellowstone and Fire uh, Project Firebeak, or is it Fire Peak? I can't remember. Uh, I wrote Fire Beak, but it might be Peak. Fire, I mean? think it's Break. Oh, Break. It? Fire Break. Okay. I think you're right. It's Fire Break. So the fact that it's a it's one of those solutions to prevent a natural disaster is really cool, and even cooler in the sense that you get more hints at the power of these sub AIs and how they're able to sort of take over other machine cauldrons that may exist. Uh, uh, you know, uh, around the world, regardless of purpose. Yeah, yeah. and and the cool and, thing about that is it's it's a test of again, like it, it gives you because at the end of the main game, you're kind of wondering like where do they go from here? There are hints, but with this expansion, you get the true sense of the power of these sub AIs and that they're able to take over these these cauldrons, and that that opens a whole new possibility for for a follow up to the game in terms of wow, the story you can tell. So. Exactly. And and that was one of the points that I thought was really interesting when talking to the AI after the end boss battle It was, mm-hmm. you know, like she was saying, giving basically the reasons for at least Hephaestus, um, maybe not Hades, but basically the they're like it was awoken by the same pulse that awoke Hades. Mm-hmm. And Hephaestus basically, like you said, is going through this whole self-preservation thing and the um, cyan AI goes into detail about how like imagine you know across the world like you might be killing hundreds of machines but if like all of the humans across the world are all hunting machines for resources right now if you are in charge of the machines of building the machines would you not see that as an attack Mm -hmm. regardless of the reason behind it so there's probably thousands if not millions of machines being destroyed the world over which is the driving force behind the demon or you know behind Hephaestus and why he's creating machines that are harder and harder to kill and that go specifically after hunters like I think it's it was just brilliant brilliant writing mm-hmm. and like you're like you said it completely opens up sequel possibilities all over the place like Horizon Zero Dawn right now has been so centered on like we've just had hints about what happened around the world through the data points that you find but our story has just been taking place in kind of like the Midwestern U S like there hasn't been any, um, expansion beyond that. Like we kind of thought that this was like the cradle of civilization, that there may only be like these four or five tribes and, you know, the Osiram and the Nora and the Karja and the Banuk. Like we thought that was kind of the be all end all of human civilization at this point. And this AI just blew that apart and said, well, actually (laughs) there's people all over the world. Like, Aloy might be special in the Midwest, but there's nothing saying there isn't another Aloy or, you know, like there aren't other tribes hunting machines and making advancements and all that other stuff. So I thought it was super, super interesting Yeah, the way they decided to give us more information about Hephaestus, because that's one big question mark I had coming out of the main game is I was like, OK, we dealt with Hades, but who is or what is this AI subroutine Hephaestus in charge of building the machines? Like, why is he doing like, why is he helping Hades? And it turns out, well, he's not really 
He's just building more machines, and mm -hmm. Hades is corrupting them. But he's building more stronger machines because of the threat to machines. Like it's it's it was a really interesting way of dealing with that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, what they did in this expansion, building off of what was in the main game, was just a really solid uh, just attempt at, at telling an extra story that that didn't need to be told. But once you finish it, it feels like yeah, this needed to be told because you felt it. It added a lot to the main game, but yeah, uh, yeah I, honestly, best answer room of the entire game. Uh, mm. The fact that you get to talk to someone who was around in a limited capacity, but was around during you know the human era, the old gods or whatever they call them, is was fascinating. The old ones, the old ones, yeah, the old yeah. gods. They had purple tentacles everywhere, but the old ones is just. It's exactly what you wanted in the main game, but you never got. The closest you got mm -hmm. was Silence, who just had, here's your knowledge level just above, you know, right here. And then Silence was just a hair above you. You know, he was always yeah. just a step ahead and because he wasn't telling you everything. But Silence just like, but what do you want to know? But not to the point where, yeah, exactly. And, and Silence, the character, who we also got a little bit more information about in mm -hmm. uh, Frozen Wilds, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, he, you're right, doesn't actually have much more understanding. He's still a product of the post-apocalyptic world, so he doesn't really know 100%. Like, most of the stuff he learns, he learns right as alongside Aloy, so he doesn't necessarily, um, have any more information about the old world, which is the part that's most interesting to me, is, you know, like, all of the things that happened to lead up to Zero Dawn. So, mm -hmm. we got a lot of those answers there, um, in terms of the actual like storyline and the Banuk, it was really interesting to me. I liked the errands in the game because I felt like, uh, and you touched on this a little bit when we were talking about features, a lot of the errand quests very much, and this is, I found this in the main game, maybe you didn't, but hmm. they seem to have a purpose behind them, which was kind of explaining a little bit more of the culture. In the end, they might have been like a, you know, follow a trail, find a murderer, or, you know go and find this person, help them kill a beast and come back. You know, they, they were um, cookie cutter-ish, but the writing that surrounded these kind of cookie cutter type, you know, escort or fetch quests um, in the end was really interesting because every single one taught you a new thing about the culture. So we learned mm -hmm. a little bit more about Banur. We learned a little bit more about shamans. We learned about, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, there was another one that I was going to use as an example and it totally slipped my mind now. I mean, like, um, where at oh, pledging... the, the conflict between mm. the Karja and the war yeah. with the Karja. We, we learned a little bit more about how the Banuk and the Karja, who basically exist on opposite ends of the map, and you don't see them interact anywhere else in the game, there is this one errand side quest that, like, explains to you their relationship. So mm. I found that the side quests and the errands really helped flesh out the world when they could have just been, like, bring me six flowers, and they weren't. Yeah. No, I completely agree. What they added to the expansion felt like it was just what was needed. They didn't go above and beyond. They didn't say, oh, well, we need we need five fetch quests to make it 15 hours instead of 12. Um, it felt like everything they added had a purpose, and, and that purpose was to either explain a little bit of lore, introduce a new weapon, stuff like that. And it all felt fun. And, mm -hmm. and the exploration of the real world... Um, areas like the dam and the hangar just was so cool because that's what i loved so much about the main game was was learning about the the old ones and you know where we where humanity was before yeah. this collapse and 
the end boss section uh you know not to skip to the very end here but the end boss oh, section no, i think that's the last thing we have to talk about it, is, it, is yeah. the very end so. and and it was a, a long portion of that game and it was basically felt like a cauldron run but a really long one where you're with the two main characters eritok and orea the shaman warrior brother sister and you're there to save scion from the daemon uh hephaestus and uh <laughs> yeah it was Which just a really cool interesting cauldron. because in the end it was almost like hephaestus himself wasn't really the demon the thing that she called the demon was the virus that he used to access her right. like processes and stuff so mm-hmm. again like some of the it's it's funny some of the kind of like spiritual terminology that they that they used at the same time while they were just talking about things like ais and viruses like it was it was very interesting but yeah you're right sorry right. the uh the end boss section the the kind of uh what oh shoot what are they called now i'm totally blanking on it well c- the cauldrons right cauldrons i was gonna mm. say crucible but i'm like i know that's wrong <laughs> I don't know. yeah the, the the it was a big it was it felt like a big cauldron section and but it, even at the end and the, the expansion did this for pretty much everything so you take a, an example of a, a main activity in the main game this game takes that activity and adds a couple extra layers and twists to it so the fact that the end boss battle is still a activate the pillar um it it spawns monsters but those monsters are also being supported by the 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 chimney stacks you know and that and multiple chimney stacks so that boss battle felt as long as the cauldron did but but you never felt like it was dragging uh to Mm. me it felt like every section of it had a purpose and um it just it was it was interesting and it kind of leaned on the combat that you really enjoyed and it was uh, it kept mixing it up like giving you new enemies to fight and then you wonder why where are the frost claws it's like oh yeah they save they give you one giant one at the very end uh to fight and it was it was a beast honestly it took me forever it was it was a very very long battle and that was mm-hmm. the thing that i wanted to touch on kind of talking about the boss battle is that this game is challenging Mm-hmm. And that's something that we've kind of talked about as we've been talking about Horizon Zero Dawn over the last nine months is the difficulty level. It's quite high. And I know, Ryan, you talked about like using ropes to try to tie it down. I did that, too. And I went through literally all 20 of my ropes before stunning it for like three seconds. Yeah. I was just like, damn, <laughs> like the uh, yeah, the difficulty level of the end boss was uh, insane, insane in a good way. I think it mm-hmm. took me probably about like 15 minutes to beat and I had to beat it twice because I actually, and this is, I guess, another complaint about the game, but it's very, very small and I don't even think I could replicate it again. But I was standing up against a wall and the boss charged at me. I thought I got out of the way, but I didn't. So I was like mid dodge roll and somehow the collision of the boss and me being in the air, I guess the game like didn't know where I was or something and like glitched me through the floor. So then Oof. I died in lava. <laughs> and I was like, I guess the floor was lava and I just didn't know. <laughs> oh, brutal. So, and he literally had a split, like one or two swings of the spear probably would have taken him down. And uh, yeah, so it, I had to start the boss battle over again. And I was just like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was a. It but was, like I say, I don't think I could replicate it again. I spent the no. whole rest of the time not with my back against any walls because I was like, I'm not letting this happen again. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah. yeah, it was very challenging, and I enjoyed it. And then you find out after you beat the boss, you get a quest that's like, oh, he's not the only one. 
five more escaped. <laughs> Can you please go kill these other five? Um, so yeah, I yeah. thought that that was really interesting. That then the world, once you defeat the boss in the cauldron, the world itself just becomes more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't even go back and experience the Frozen Wilds quest content without you know passing these giant now bear spawn points, like grizzly mm-hmm. bear spawn points. So I thought that was a really nice twist to make it so like okay. Even when you think that you're done, there's still more stuff that's changing the world outside once you emerge from the cauldron. So yeah. Oh, and it, it, it just, uh, when I finished the end bo- battle, I was like, all right, I can text Joss and let her know I finished it, uh, and then we can start prepping for this show. That was a few weeks ago. But then you realize after you finish the boss battle, there's more to do. There's more side quests added. There well, are side quests that build upon other ones. I was totally done last night. I finished it somewhere between 4:30 and 5 a.m. I had my final boss battle. And then I, I made it to the AI room and I'm like, oh my God, there's so many conversation options right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this tomorrow morning. I'm going to do all my conversation options. I'm going to, cause I'm going to forget it if I do it now. Mm-hmm. So I woke up and I started doing the conversation options and all these other quests are popping up and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> like I thought I was done, but I was so not done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's why we actually ended up having to push the recording a little bit later, but uh yeah, I hope you guys did enjoy this. This is our, again, uh, Inside the Game uh, Pilot 2.0, if you want to call it that. So if you did enjoy this, if you enjoyed our deep dive into Horizon Zero Dawn, and if you'd like to see more of this kind of content, head on over to patreon.com slash the and back our campaign. Uh, we do thank everyone who is currently supporting us over there. I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. Um... Yeah, you can check us out on uh, gamersandpodcast.com. You can also find us on Amy TV along with other fabulous podcasts, including The Angry Nerd, Into the Nexus, The Angry Chicken, For Azeroth, Embrace Spoilers, and Heroes Forge. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Jocelyn's, Ryan is at R. Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. The video versions of all our episodes can be found at youtube.com slash TV. If you'd like to email us and let us know what you thought about Frozen Wilds, please do so at info at gamersandpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.